Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. Uh, I don't know if Mike Catherwood, Christine, is sending you some kind of weird message, but that song is called She Drives Me Crazy. Not every song I play has <laughs> hidden meanings. <laughs> okay. <Please. laughs> All right. <laughs> I did not get a note on that, but I, I'm just loving all the tunes. Uh, so I also, we don't need to go to HR right now for that? No? No, not good, at all. Good, good. Am I driving you crazy? No. <laughs> not in at a, all. In You're a, sounding fantastic. In a good way. Yeah. We'll always go with the in a good way. Uh, that's Christine Cardoso joining me today on The Rush. And uh, it's smart speaker time. Smart speaker time is that time of the week where we bring in clever people to say intelligent things and we bask in their reflected glow. Uh, so let's uh, join wow. us right now. Have, yes. Have uh, joining us right now, Garatan Singh, VP at Crestview Strategy, community advocate and lawyer. Uh, and Bob Reed, principal at Broadway Strategy and Communications. Welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you for having us. Thanks for being here. So we all know the story. It's the least newsworthy. Well, it's not. It's newsworthy, but it's the least unexpected story of the week. FIFA, uh, the World Cup, it's going to cost us a lot more money than we thought it was going to. Uh, Ontario's not going to give us any more money towards this. It's sort of a third, a third, a third between the city and the feds and, and the province. We're getting 97 or 98 million from the province, and that is it, no matter how the, the cost blossoms. Uh, Garatin, let me start with you. Is it time to say no thank you to FIFA and the World Cup? So it's more so, do we have a chance or an opportunity to even yeah. say that? So let's let's give it the context. This was a deal that was signed by the last mayor, John Tory. He signed it without securing these levels of funding, clearly, because we're in this situation now. Olivia Chow is inheriting this issue. Now, the problem is saying no could probably result in, A, a really big hit to our reputation from a business sector because a, a contract was signed, and two, it you'd probably give grounds for FIFA to sue us pretty substantially and ultimately cost more in the end than just carrying out with it. So we need to have that context. Uh, so in that, you know, with that understood, I think Olivia Chow is a deal maker. She's been mm -hmm. making deal after deal after deal. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, something that's going to be a huge economic engine, particularly for the province and for the feds, uh, isn't something that in the end she's able to negotiate more money for. Bob, uh, you know, I, I am for bringing people back to the city, but if we're going to spend that much money, I wish we had something that was more of, you know, a perennial, something that would bring people back year after year after year, not just for the six days of the of the football games. Well, I'm like you, Richard. I was shocked, shocked <laughs> when I saw that uh, a mega sporting event like this Can that was imagine? dependent on public backing uh, was 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 running, you know, running beyond budget. Now, in fairness, I mean, they do point out, look, inflation went through the roof after this deal was cut. Mm -hmm. So everything's gone up. And that's what we're seeing here. That's OK. Fair enough. But I kind of like the way the province is playing this. Look, we put 97 million on the table and that's it. We're not going to go any any higher. So don't look at us to bail out on, on cost overruns. And cost overruns on a, a sporting event that is one of the most lucrative on planet Earth. And I think that's what sticks with a lot of taxpayers is, why do you need my money mm -hmm. to stage the World Cup 
in in our city or in any city anywhere like it the the thing just should be a no-brainer in terms of of paying for itself but for some reason it's not and so i'm i'm kind of glad the province is drawing the line i think they're also looking at okay we got 97 million on the table if we get into triple digits if we get over you know over a hundred million on a couple of nice days for the city of Toronto, that's not going to play well either across the province. I will tell you, Christine, once the party. I am just astonished, not at the fact that we're having a debate about how much things cost, but I'm astonished that we're surprised that they cost this much. And I don't disagree that FIFA should pay or could pay. And to use Jerry Agar's point, uh, you know, Taylor Swift comes to town and brings in all this money. And so do many other conferences, etc., concerts, whatever it is. I get that part of it. What I'm still struggling with a little bit is uh, why are we surprised that it costs a lot of money? And maybe one of the issues is, is that it didn't balloon to $380 million. But what I, the moment in 2018, when it was discussed that it was going to be price tagged at $30 million, I was like, we know right away it's going to cost, you know, triple that easily. So it started to me from the get-go at a bad point because it was already estimated to be too low. And now, all these years later, we're having this debate that I just feel is started incorrectly. You're listening to the Spart Speakers on The Rush, Garatin Singh, VP of Crestview Strategy, Community Advocate and Lawyer, Bob Reed, Principal at Broadway Strategy and Communications. Uh, a new study has found that there is widespread frustration with access to primary health care. Uh, Garatin, do you have a family doctor? I'm lucky. I do have a family doctor, but I understand that there are countless, countless individuals who don't have a family doctor. And it's really scary to see how our healthcare system is crumbling. But mm -hmm. I, I, I'll say it and I'll say it again. The Ford government, if you look at Ontario right now, has sitting on $20 billion of reserve funding. They could deploy that funding to, to invest into our healthcare system to ensure we have the best healthcare system for people who need it, people of Ontario. But instead, he's sitting on his hands and he's actually bringing forth this privatization that study after study is showing is going to cost our system more. So this is a playbook out of the, this is a, a page out of the conservative playbook, which is to underfund public services and then create a crisis and then give a solution that no one wants, privatization, that's ultimately going to cost us more and have a worth, a poorer form of service for Ontarians. We need to, to push to get this funding for a healthcare system. We need public funding for public health care. And we need to say no to privatization. And Bob, a study also shows that medical residency spots in Canada has remained stagnant over the past decade, despite this huge population growth that we've been experiencing. How do we fix that? How do we change that? Well, we've, we've got to increase access. We've got to open up that pipeline that has been very clearly neglected for too long. And, and I'm, I'm a lot less conspiratorial than, <laughs> than Guritan is. On, no conspiracy uh, there. Those are numbers, man. There's, there's $20 billion. You can Google well, it. Well, I, I, I don't. I, I don't I don't think there's such an evil agenda at play here as there is perennial uh, funding pressures across the healthcare system and areas that haven't 
had proper attention paid to them. And so the, the simple fact is there aren't enough family doctors. There aren't enough even uh, nurse practitioners, not even full-fledged doctors, but somebody who could, who could do the job if need be. So that's what's got to get addressed. And uh, the, the headline on this that says, you know, there's, there's massive frustration about access to the healthcare system and, and water is wet, my friends. I mean, like this is where the rubber hits the road. If you can't get a family doctor like so many people can't, who are the points of entry into the broader system, yeah. you're pretty euchred. And that's the way it, far too many people are feeling these days. Yeah, I just I, need to respond to this conspiracy sure. point. We've got, we've got I, about 40 seconds. I'm reading right now off of Global News. This is Ontario's PC government is sitting on more than $22 billion in excess funds, according to the province's watchdog, with no transparency. This is June 13th, 2023. This is not a conspiracy, folks. The board government is sitting on money. They're refusing to invest it in our health care, and now our health care system is crumbling. We need, right now, Mike Cather with a big stamp sound that says, Fox, like a law and order kind of a sting. Uh, that's right. Uh, we are in the smart speakers. We're going to wrap up uh, part one of that. Uh, our smart speakers today are uh, Guritan Singh, VP at Crestview Strategy, community advocate and lawyer, and Bob Reed, a principal at Broadway Strategy and Communications. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about some of the big stories of the day, including... Should there be a federal study on cell phones in schools and maybe a possible ban? You're listening to The Rush. I'm Richard Krause. That's Christine Cardoso. Stay with us. There's lots more to come. And I'm Richard Krause, sitting in the big chair today. Joining me is Christine Cardoso. Uh, welcome. Great to be here. We're getting into the last hour and 10 minutes or so. Long-time listener, first-time <laughs> guest host. Still so happy about that. Yeah, well, we're thrilled to have you here, and, uh, and it's been fun. Nice to uh, get to talk with you on the air. Thank you very much, Richard Krause, and to our smart speakers as well. And to our smart speakers, we've got uh, Gratin Singh, VP at Crestview Strategy, community advocate and lawyer, uh, and Bob Reed, principal at Broadway Strategy and Communications. So when we Left, I teased this. I said, should we have a federal study on cell phones in school uh, and a possible ban? Kids are using phones in class, even when it's against the rules. Again, maybe that's the second most unsurprising news headline of the week following the FIFA overages. Uh, should schools ban them all day long? They've done that, or they're trying to do that in some places uh, in the United States. Should we think about doing it here? Bob Reed, what do you think? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, full, full disclaimer, I don't have kids. I don't have kids in school, so I'm not directly uh, connected to this. But it, it just it astounds me how this is even a, a point of discussion that in any school classroom anywhere that the kids can have a device, a communications device in their hands that distracts them, that enables them to goof off, waste time, uh, gossip with their friends, do anything but focus on the business at hand going on in that classroom, whether it's a, a, a lecture from the teacher or collaborating with, with colleagues on a, on a project that they're working on together. I just don't understand how this ever became a point of debate and that it hasn't been universal. You, you don't get to have your phone when you're in class. Can you bring it to school? Sure. Can you use it between classes? Can you use it on a spare period or if there's a recess break or something? Absolutely, but not during lesson time. 
I feel like all the teachers and all the parents are like, yes, Bob Reed, we agree, but we'll find out. Garatan Singh, what do you have to say about this? I think Bob and I might be on the same page on this one. <laughs> it's the only one. <laughs> the only one. Yeah, so I, I would say two things. I'd add one caveat to it. I, I think that the issue of cell phones and this impact on not just kids, on all of us, is going to be uh, uh, something we look back on and probably shake our heads yeah. with respect to how little we know about its impact uh, and with respect to long-term impacts and how much we're using them. That being said, though, I do think there needs to be a component of like, in, in general, for everything I'd say, you don't just want to ban it. Like, I, I agree with that. But you also have, want to have a component of how to use things responsibly. You want to have education and be like, this is what we do know about the impacts of, of cell phones. I know, like, I have a young kid who's three and a half, and we were told pretty explicitly, like, no screen time, and it can have negative impacts. And, and we've tried our best to, to hold to that. So I, I think there needs to be a component of, yeah, ban it, but also have some education to use it responsibly. So we're, we're starting to teach kids from a young age how to deal with this technology, which we know can be addictive and the programs within it are meant to be addictive. So we need some education on that as well. I think it's interesting that if you go see a big comedian like Dave Chappelle or Kevin Hart or any of those, uh, you're given a little pouch to put your phone in. Uh, and people are like, sure, I'll do that. But it, we, we talk about the idea of taking them away from kids in schools and people are up in arms about it. What if I have to reach my child during yeah, the day? Yeah. Well, that's what you call the office for, I guess. It's true. Right. It's absolutely true. I was at a John Mulaney show few months back yeah. at Casino Rama and first time ever I had to put my phone away and I was having the same thought. If we can do it and we don't question the comedians or certain other areas that we have to give up our phones, I think most teachers, most uh, schools will want just a little bit of control. We don't like that word, but a little bit of control over, you know, when the kids can have those phones. Does In it, class, doesn't make sense. Does it mean we respect John Mulaney more than we respect our teachers? <laughs> That's a smart speaker topic for another time. Uh, <laughs> one in five Canadians are looking to buying a new home uh, with family amid high borrowing costs. So this is a new survey. We were talking about this just a little bit earlier. People finding kind of unique ways uh, to uh, to figure out how to buy a home in one of the hottest, biggest markets in, in the country. Uh, and people are coming up with ideas. We had someone call in and say, well, we're moving to North uh, Bay with my uh, father, and then he's going to go into long care and we'll take over his home. We've got, we had all sorts of uh, things happening, but people have to get creative here. Uh, Bob, have you heard of any stories of people uh, getting particularly creative or finding alternate, alternate ways of uh, being able to buy a home? I've certainly heard of the family thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I know, I know a couple of siblings who are housemates um, because that makes it possible for them both to be, you know, sort of co-homeowners and and make their initial foray into the market, which, as as we all know, is is so important. I mean, that that first toehold, mm -hmm. uh, and then and then uh, the equity that that can come from that down the road can really set you up well. So, yeah, I can I can think of uh, of, of one instance of that, and then at the other end of the scale uh, with the aging parent. 
Um, yeah. I, I have a couple of adult friends who have moved in with um, one of their uh, aging uh, dads to be the caregivers and share share that space with them. So I, I think we're seeing a, a variety of pressures. Of course, it's it's the high, high cost of housing, especially in, in the major cities that's driving it. But uh, we're also seeing some family realities as well that I think are coming into play. Garatan Singh, would you be one of the five or one in five Canadians looking at buying a home with family? Would you ever consider that given these tough economic times? Funny enough, culturally in Brampton, it's a very common thing among South Asians to live with your extended family for a longer period of time. So in Brampton, they actually design homes very often where you have like they they know that the buyer is often looking for like two masters upstairs mm. because they'll have parents with their kids and, and their, gro- their grown children and their children with them. So you have three generations in a household. So this is a, a pretty common thing. I think it's better if it's a choice as opposed to a forced reality. And I think we really need to look at the fact that there has been something really broken in our Canadian system that has resulted in people's inability to buy a home on their own. And I think people want to, they should have that option. But what upsets me is the fact that People are being forced in that situation, and, and that's a problem. The numbers suggest that people want to, and it says here that uh, just one in five uh, people are looking at, you know, figuring out an alternate way. But that's just figuring out an alternate way. There's also going to be people that just say, well, I'm just going to dive in and try and do this. There's, I don't think people have given up on the idea of owning a home, uh, but I do think that they're they're just, it's so much more difficult now uh, than it once was. Although, even when homes cost $9,000, it was still difficult to buy one. You weren't making that much money. Uh, it was still difficult to buy one, but now it just seems almost insurmountable, but people are still trying. It's a cultural thing, though, as well. Like to Garotten's point, uh, I'm our, my culture is similar to yours, Garotten. My background's Portuguese, and so certainly, <laughs> yeah. certainly uh, back in the homeland, it's very much like you just you you live next to your mom, you live next to your dad. Everybody's together. It takes a village, literally, to raise a child. Um, so culturally, I think things are going to change, and I think in North America, it was a cultural thing until post-war and everything changed under capitalism and that's when really it became a thing to go and buy your own home instead of live in the family dwelling. That is well, it. I, I live in the village of Brampton where I live uh, a five-minute walk from my sister-in-law and both our parents are all within like a 20-minute walk. So, Built-in uh, babysitting, that's where it's at. I love that. Oh, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That is our smart speakers for Tuesday afternoon. Grattan Singh, VP at Crestview Strategy, community, uh, community advocate and lawyer. Bob Reed, principal at Broadway Strategy and Communications. Thank you very much. Stay with me when we come back. Lots more to come on The Rush.